Thank you for tuning in to the Star Center podcast entitled Pediatric Care, Childhood, Adversity, and Resiliency Education. We bring together a community of pediatric providers working to address social determinants of health in their practices. We will share tested strategies, success stories, ideas on where to find community resources, and discuss clinical tools that are educational and practical to benefit your practice and families. Hello, and thank you for tuning into our podcast. During this episode, we'll be talking about the importance of family advisor engagement and identifying roles within a practice setting with Melissa Winger. She wears many hats as a member of the American Academy of Pediatrics ASHU Technical Assistance Project Advisory Board and Family Partnership Executive Committee, the Emergency Medical Services for Children State and National Family Representative, Patient-Centered Medical Home Consumer Site Evaluator, and Consumer Merit Reviewer for Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, or PCORI. She's a wonderful mom to an amazing young man with complex medical conditions from a rare chromosome disorder. So let's jump in. Hello, I'm Dr. Nurissa Bauer. I'm a behavioral pediatrician and the host of the show. I'm located in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm a blogger of Let's Talk Kids Health. I'm really excited to talk today to our guest, Melissa Winger. So I'm going to let her introduce herself. Thank you, Dr. Bauer. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, I am Melissa Winger uh, from Minnesota, and I'm a family advisor currently with the AAP's ASHU work group and also with the family uh, network partnership so on that executive committee as well so i am very involved with aap and i am happy to be here we are so excited and you know just to set the context for our listeners what is a family advisor because i don't know if a lot of people know that term or how that's used so if you don't mind let's start there perfect so i have been in the family advisor, family partnerships capacity now for almost 25 years uh, due to my son. Um, He's the kind of inspiration for why I became an advisor. And it has taken on many roles and many different forms over the years. It has been from serving on an advisory council with just family members sort of participating on hospital um, advisory work. Then it also has turned into systems like an entire EMS system for a state uh, looking for a family partnership. It can be at the clinic level with just one-to-one projects such as um, work, like clinic workflow design, testing out different rooms, furniture. It can take on so many different levels. And there's also opportunities to partnership with other family advisors. So in like a mentorship capacity. So, I mean, do you mind if we kind of take a step back? And I'm, I'm really interested in hearing your story about what really drove you to become a family advisor. You mentioned your son. Can you give us a little bit of background on that? Yes, yes. My sweet, sweet young uh, son, and I'm still going to call him a baby, even though he's 25 years old, was <laughs> born with a rare chromosome disorder. So every organ system has been affected in some way. He has significant developmental disabilities as well. And what's interesting is how I became an advisor is he was hospitalized early on in his life. And I happened to be brand new at 18, 19 years old as a new mom and was in the hospital with him. 
And I saw a flyer in our hospital elevator that said looking for family advisors. And I thought right away that there's no way they would bring on a 19 year old mom to serve as a family advisor. But I thought I'll give it a shot. And I filled out my application and they called and said, happy to have you. So from there, it sort of inspired me to work on hospital issues. And then I was so involved with that, that I actually was nominated to be the chairperson at like 21. It was sort of this, I got hooked. And the reason why I got hooked is because the information or the feedback or input we gave actually turned into something. And I could see that. And so I'm like, I have to do more. I wanna do more. I'm helping kids like my son and I'm helping kids um, just in every different capacities. And so I was seeing results. Yeah. I mean, could you give us an example of an early outcome that you were able to influence in that hospital system? Yeah. So one of them was we were looking at different family education items and it was a simple admission packet folder and it was this folder and it had tons of information in it. It had tons of flyers and tons of brochures and I really never looked at it. I would give it a quick glance and it was overwhelming. I'm like, this is so much information. Didn't know what applied to me. Didn't know, basically didn't even really have the time to sift through it all. And it wasn't something that I was going to be taking home because I'm taking home a very special needs baby. So um, I, I just would leave it there. And so they came to us with a, and what is helpful in this packet? What is useful to you? What do you think about it? Just general questions. They didn't come with an agenda. They didn't come with drafts or anything. They said, what do you want to see when you're admitted? And the first thing I said was, I want to know the scrub colors and what they mean. I want to know that the lady, because it, it was a uniform at our hospital that respiratory therapists wore maroon scrubs. Super helpful to me. RNs were wearing blue. You know, nursing assistants were wearing green. Pharmacists were, and it was like, that's what I want to know. Who's coming in my room? Because they'll say their name, but I didn't know their title. And it was extremely helpful. So we actually just kind of put together a, this is what a respiratory therapist is. And you'll see them because they're wearing maroon scrubs. It was that simple, but it was super helpful. Oh, that that's wonderful because, you know, I, I can imagine as a new mom and mm -hmm. uh, in this hospital where there's a ton of people coming in and out of your room, you're, you're tired uh, and just wanting to know quickly who, what purpose does that, that person serve mm -hmm. on the team? How powerful is that to look from the lens of the family, you know, who you're there to help but to really walk in their shoes and understand their experience and then translate into something, not just for your own family, but for all the families that come into that hospital mm -hmm. from that point on, that really is really motivating and inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. And it was something that could be crossed over into other languages. Cause you know, when we see a name tag, you know, it might say registered nurse, but that might not translate. So if you just had a blue scrubs and it was in a different language, uh -huh. that is super helpful. And then when you're, often um, at like a step down level and there's not one-to-one -one care, you kind of, families just wander the hallways looking for like, I need a nurse or I need anyone. And you don't even know who to look for. But with this, you're looking, okay, I gotta find 
blue scrubs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this story. So I hope that the listeners who are hearing this are getting inspired because especially if, if someone is not familiar with what a family advisor could do and the impact they can have, uh, this is just uh, hopefully getting the juices flowing. So Melissa, I just have to stop you for a second because you said that you just happened to see a random flyer right? Mm -hmm. What exactly was going through your mind? I mean, weren't you already stressed out because your baby has such a rare disorder, was in critical care, and what drove you as a teen mom to say, yes, I want to do this? That's what I want to know. I think mm -hmm. that's what our listeners are going to want to know too. Yeah. So, I mean, I just saw this, this flyer and I was my son was in, in critical condition, going through a lot of surgeries. I'm again, like 19, 20 years old at the time. I'm sitting in this room. I'm looking at all the things that, oh, I wish I would see this, or I wish things would be like this. And and just sitting there and all of a sudden I see this flyer and I thought, well, worst case, like I have nothing to lose, but I would love to give feedback. I live here. I'm here 24 seven. Um, and things are hectic and stressful, but I want to do something valuable. Mm. I want to not only help the situation my son's in right now, but I want to help all the kids behind him by simple things. And at the very least, I thought, well, maybe this is an opportunity for me to meet other families in this hospital. My son has such a rare condition. Um, support groups weren't an option um, because this condition was so rare. And I thought, well, this might be an opportunity for me to meet other families. And maybe these other families are also inpatient for extended amounts of time. And I thought at least I could meet other families. So I thought I gotta give it a shot. Yeah, and I think if anything, what this story proves is that, you know, as providers, we might overthink it and we might think, oh, we can never ask, you know, the, the parents of special needs children to take time off because they've got too much on their plates or whatever. But I think your story really highlights that you never know. And if you don't present that opportunity or that invitation, you know, mm -hmm. then you might miss a valuable working relationship with someone who can mm -hmm. really help the team understand or the hospital system understand what it really is like living in your shoes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yes. And, and they'll throw all your assumptions away and you just ask. So let's kind of pivot a little bit because I, I want to know, like, what could a family advisor role look like? Because I know that from your own, what you had just said, you had gone on uh, from doing this work, but then doing it at different levels. Can you explain uh, a little bit about that? Yeah, so then um, once you kind of have this, it, you saw your work unfold, you see that it had helped so many people, then your mind starts going as to what else I, can I do? So if you think of a family advisor, it's not just assigning them tasks, it's sort of saying, what do you want us to start thinking about? What would you like to see? And so families then can just say, hey, like this would be a really cool opportunity. Um, what we thought was there was a group of us that thought, well, what if we did a little presentation at every new employee orientation? There's just a family panel. So it's it's getting the staff day one at their orientation 
and they get to hear from the families and what we experience. And it was a simple family panel of three families. We had a facilitator and we just said, you know, this is a good experience or this was a not so good experience and this is how it could have been better. And it was just part of their orientation and it gave the staff, it, it set them on the right path to saying this organization, here's the family voice and it starts at day one. And it also gives them the opportunity to ask questions that they may not be able to, to ask in any other form. Mm -hmm. So it's different things like that. It's doing on panels, it's doing education, it's co-presenting at at a meeting or something. And there's different things if you just kind of think outside the box of, because what we tend to do as health professionals is we think we know what the family needs. And sometimes we, we don't, or we don't even find value in some of the things that they suggest. Um, and we're able to, say, nope, nope, you know, what would be really great is if we did, you know, X, Y, and Z. And it can be as simple as navigation. It's coming from the parking ramp to the clinic. And these are the issues we come across. You know, the direction sign is unable to find it. We don't know where to park. We don't know what's this. And it's like, oh, so the issues actually start before they even step foot in our clinic. Yeah, and, and you know, mm -hmm. I think I think these are really great examples of ways that family voices can really influence the climate and the welcoming climate of a healthcare system, clinic, um, and really, um, really make the providers and the healthcare team aware that you know we are at the end of the day here to help as many families as possible, but we mm -hmm. also need to be thinking about their experience throughout the whole thing, not just focused on fixing the problem, diagnosing the problem, right? We want the whole experience to be as welcoming and supportive mm -hmm. as possible, especially in pediatrics. I mean, I think that's that goes without saying because you know mm -hmm. those kids can be really overwhelmed and terrified mm -hmm. and scared and anything that we can do to improve that experience can go a very long way. So you mentioned that you're doing some work with the American Academy of Pediatrics right now, and, and we're working together mm -hmm. on a committee as well together. But what are some of the struggles from the systems level view of incorporating family advisors into a practice? So let's say, you know, uh, somebody listening here has a private practice or they're in an academic center. They don't yet have family mm -hmm. advisors. What are some of those kind of barriers or struggles that you have heard about so that way when um, folks are really excited and jazzed after they hear this episode and they're like, yes, I want to do this. At least they can go in with eyes wide open and be able to take those lessons learned and then mm -hmm. go. Yes, that it, there are several different barriers depending on clinic size and what you are um, looking at doing based on your clinic population. Um, but I kind of tend to think people overthink it and they want it to be a perfect situation. And it's, so right away, people struggle with recruiting. How do we get a family advisor? Who do we pick? Who do we, you know, ask to participate? And it's not that you would pick and invite somebody, but maybe leaving it open in a waiting room and not being selective. I think people really wanna get selective um, in, in finding that perfect patient family partner. And, and that, that doesn't exist. It doesn't, and and you have to be open. I mean, just from how I started, 
I was like, nope, nobody wants a 19 year old teen mom, like to sit on a, I was convinced. I'm like, no, but they did. They gave me a shot. They gave me a chance. They gave me support. Um, and they started with a platform of kind of setting the tone of how things are going to go. And I think that is super important. So once you have your family advisor, um, and I suggest opening up to maybe your entire clinic population somehow and, and see what you get, because you don't have to have just one. You can have a couple. Um, you can decide that this person serves a two-year term maybe, and you, then you have a rotating person to come in. But then once you have them, it's setting the tone because I think both families and and staff are concerned about what is being discussed because our child gets care here, right? Our child gets care here. So they are very intimidated because they don't want to put people down from the family side, but also from the provider side is how much should we share about a clinic they come and get services from? And so there's always going to be that hesitancy to maybe not be so transparent. But if you set the tone right away that this is um, a free like area to speak, to be transparent, um, some committees I've served on had me sign a confidentiality agreement, which I was perfectly comfortable doing, um, and setting just setting that tone of, of this is an open environment free to speak. So I think it's it's very good to set the tone right away. Mm -hmm. and, and how important is it to you that when you have this open invitation or a flyer, you might see it in a clinic space, um, that, that it's defined at least, or the parameters are known, or your job description, or, you know, like any of that, mm -hmm. uh, is that, is that required? Does it make it easier? So actually, um, the things that I wanted to know, and I will also always say this, is I'm one family. So I don't speak for everyone. I try to do like a very vague um, situation, but it's, I want to know, can I participate? Are you going to have your meetings during the time where I'm at work? Am I going, or is it going to be in the evenings? Am I going to need childcare? Am I going to, um, it, those things, those are, are any of these going to be virtual? So can I can attend? I want to know what sort of the expectation is. And on that note too, is staff need to, if you want to bring in a family advisor, you really have to be flexible to make sure they can participate. They shouldn't have to take time off work. They shouldn't have to have to locate and find childcare and pay for that. They shouldn't pay out of pocket to attend or to participate. So if you can have an evening meeting or anything like that, just so you can get their voice and participate. I'm curious kind of along those lines, and these are awesome, you know, practical tips to provide practices where it may be interested in incorporating a family advisor and or family advisors like itching to help, right? But but also um, in any of your various uh, roles, were you ever compensated or is this something that practices systems need to be thinking about how to do that, how to retain a family advisor? That is a very like hot topic on how, how we do this. And the way you have to look at compensation is the same way how you would recruit an advisor is you have to be flexible and decide what do they need to be able to participate. I think the first thing is that they shouldn't have to pay out of pocket for anything. 
and they shouldn't have to um, hire a babysitter. Maybe they shouldn't have to take time off work. So think of, are you asking your family to actually spend money to participate? And then the other thing is a lot of families don't want compensation, like in the form of cash, you know, especially if you're talking special needs families or anybody that's on any kind of public assistance that goes towards your income. So you have to think of that and be creative. Is the gift card an option? And if you're able to do that, I think it shows that what they bring to the table is valuable. It's appreciated and it's a really nice gesture, but sometimes you have to be creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, these are these are really important considerations. And again, I, I love sort of listening to your story and learning from your experience, because uh, while I get that your experience is your unique experience, there are lots of like universal uh, themes that can be applied. Um, and I guess, you know, because we're, um, you know, we we have just a few more minutes here. But what I'd love to ask you is, you know, what advice do you have for either someone who wants to get involved as a family advisor and doesn't even know where to start, or uh, if if what words of advice do you have for practices who are like, yeah, this sounds like a great idea, but how should we even get started? Yeah, so I think on the clinic level, you need to really have like a champion who's gonna be dedicated to finding the family advisor and then also being that family advisor support person, someone they can reach out to that they trust to say, great meeting. I don't understand any of the acronyms that were given, you know, just to have someone they can reach out to at all times um, and be able to it comfortably because you don't want to seem like, oh, I should know all of this. I'm not sure to make sure you're identifying that point person um, and someone that can see it through because once you have a family involved and then communication breaks down, that family kind of doesn't want to participate again because it wasn't a really good experience. And then from the family side, even at their clinic, you know, maybe doesn't have family advisors. There are also tons of opportunities. You know, they have different organizations within states. They have, you know, local chapters of AAP they could get involved in different things like that. And to really spread the word about family advisors, they could even ask their clinic. Do you guys have family advisors? Are you looking to start? If so, love to help, you know, here's my number. And that might get people thinking, oh, we really should have family advisors. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine anybody listening to this episode and not being jazzed about the idea of a family advisor in some capacity. And so just as a reminder, please check out the American Academy of Pediatrics Star Center. That's the Screening Technical Assistance and Resource Center. We have a wonderful website of lots of resources. We will also have information on family advisors. So again, please make sure to review this podcast. We'd love the five-star review and share it with your friends and other pediatricians, other pediatric providers, and budding family advisors. Thank you for tuning in to Pediatric Care, Childhood, Adversity, and Resiliency Education Podcast. For more information or to learn more about the resources referenced during this episode, please visit our Screening Technical Assistance and Resource Center website found on aap.org screening.